أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته First of all, I want to apologize for taking longer than I thought of getting back to this. I, I'm really making an effort to, uh, to keep this podcast going, partly because I've just had such wonderful feedback from so many people who've really appreciated this uh, medium. And I actually like this medium. I'm, I've never been, I'm not a picture person, and I really actually have never been a, I don't like visual media. I think it's, it has a lot of problems that go with it. And I, I think our tradition is historically very wary of image-based. Uh, I think there's a reason why our civilization really, really avoided uh, image-based uh, tradition. Uh, our, our, our tradition is a tradition of words. Our great art form is calligraphy. And our miracle is the Quran. It's a book of words. And so I will uh, try to be uh, better at this, inshallah. But today I wanted to begin this next um, series of podcasts looking at something from Imam al-Ghazali, which I really found uh, quite extraordinary. I mean, all of his writings are worth looking at and studying. He's, he's somebody that really demands a lot of study. But he has a book. He wrote two really important books. One of them he called Ma'yar uh, al-Ilm, which is the standard of knowledge. And it's a book based on logic. And what he attempted to do in that book is essentially give people the tools to discern truth from falsehood. And while a lot of people have this intuitively, obviously, where we have intellect and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has distributed the intellect amongst our species relatively uh, well distributed. So most, the vast majority of people have intellects and they can think through things but what the, what learning logic and what Imam al-Ghazali attempted to do in this book is in essence give people a type of grammar of our thought processes so that we could avoid pitfalls and mistakes in the same way that when you learn a, a second language you, ha you have to learn it correctly because you, you can if you don't learn it, if you learn the slang of that language or if you learn a non-standard language, it's going to be difficult to read their literature and to communicate. So learning grammar is really important in foreign languages, more so than it is in your natural language, which you acquire simply just through uh, your parents and, and your peers. And then obviously uh, education starts. So he, he wrote that book. But the second book he wrote is called Mizan Al-Amal, which is the... The mizan is like the scales or the, the, the weights and measures, the measure of our actions. So it's, it's just as the book Ma'yar al-Ilm, which is the standard of knowledge, was a book that really looked at discursive reasoning and thinking and how we can discern truth from falsehood. The second book was actions, how we discern right action from wrong action. And, and he gave these two books really as standards by which you could live your life in, in both your, your, your theory and your practice. And 
the, there's so much wisdom in the book, but one, one of the chapters I want to look at today was he talks about the nafs and opposing the, our hawa, what, what's called hawa. Hawa is a very interesting word because on the one hand it can mean whims or passions. It also, as a technical term, actually means heresy. So ahlul ahwa are the, are the heretics, the people of heresy. When, when you study uh, aqidah or creed or, or uh, theology, they use that term hawa as, as somebody who's like a mubtada, an innovator. And heresy, which comes from a, a Greek word, which is to choose for yourself. So the heretic is one who picks and chooses what he likes from a religion and rejects the things that he or she doesn't like. That, that's the essence of a heretic. And so here he's really talking about mujahadat al-hawa is opposing your base appetites or your desires. So every human being has desires. And, and, and those desires, the, the most fundamental ones are what are called the shahwatan, the, the, the two appetites. One is the, the, the appetite for food, and, and that is to preserve our individual, to sustain our individual lives. And then the second appetite is the appetite for uh, intimacy, and that is to preserve this, the species. But in both of them, Allah has put pleasure and, and partly to, to ensure that we do it. Because if it was not pleasurable, then we wouldn't eat and we wouldn't procreate. But he also put it as a, as a blessing, as a ni'mah. And this is why uh, that food, that you can eat nice food and good food, there's nothing wrong with that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kulu wa sharabu wa Eat and drink, but not to excess. And the same is true with, uh, with marital relations. You can, you can have uh, marital relations and intimacy and, and as long as it's not where you're going to actually harm yourself or it's outside of the parameters of what's uh, accepted by the sharia. So this is what he's talking about of opposing these appetites. And that's why he actually wrote a whole book in, in his famous Ihya which is breaking the two desires. And it wasn't to break them, to eliminate them. It was break them like you break a horse so that you actually master them, so that they don't control you, you control them. And so what I want to look at was this section because there's, there's a few points in here that I just found so profound. So he begins by just saying that know that, that people, insan, and insan in Arabic is it's, it would be like mensch. It's the human being. It's neither male or female. In fact, there's a debate amongst linguists. Is insanitun a word or is it just insan? So there is some poetry that insanitun fatanitun is the one they quote. Um, but generally, insan is the human being. It's not a male or a female. It's the human being. And it comes from a root which means uns, which is intimacy. So the insan is the one who is intimate. And this is why if you look at creatures, most creatures guard their bellies. In fact, they don't reveal their bellies. In fact, a cat will expose its belly when it feels very comfortable with you. And so animals do not expose their front. So the human being, the, the bashar, the human being, is somebody who walks with his, 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 his vitals exposed. Uh, because we, this, this, this is part of being human is that we, we have a trust. 
and there's some this essential trust. And that's why you have civil societies where people don't feel threatened by other human beings. Whereas when you go outside of civil societies, people feel threatened. There's a famous Bedouin uh, uh, poet who said uh, that, that he, he was in the desert and, and he says, uh, you know, he's, he's like outside and, and he hears the, the wolf howl. Uh, you know, he, he hears the wolf howl, howl and then he says, so I heard the, the howling of the wolf and I felt some comfort in hearing the wolf howl because it means there's other creatures out there with him in the desert. And then he says uh, that he heard a human being and he almost flew out of his skin. Uh, you know, I heard the human being and I almost flew out of my skin. And what he's saying is with the wolf, I know his nature. So, so, so I know what to expect from a wolf. But the human being, he could be a wolf, he could be a sheep, he could be a shepherd. You don't know what you're going to get with a human being. But, but we're still creatures of intimacy. And, so, and the other meaning of insan, which is fascinating to me, is the pupil of the eye. Because we were created for the beatific vision. So the human being was created to see God. And so the actual word for human being means the pupil of the eye. And the pupil of the eye is black. And it dilates and gets bigger and bigger when it's experiencing pleasure. So this is the dilation of the human soul. We, we expand with, with intimacy. And, and uh, intimacy in, with pleasure is one of the, the great blessings of life on earth. So he says that about this fighting the, this hawa, this passion, um, uh, there's three basic states that people fall into. The first is that the hawa overwhelms the person and possesses them. And, and he's unable to go against it. And this is, he says, This is the state of the majority of humanity. That's, that's the human condition. And then he says, and this is what Allah meant when he said, Have you not seen the one who took his God as his passion? And he says, what that means is it doesn't, uh, he said there's no meaning to the ilah as, as worshipped unless he's followed. So if you don't follow God, then it's like you don't even believe in God. So he's saying if you follow your passion, you've taken your passion as your God because that's what you're obeying. And so, so that is, is the majority of human beings. And, 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 and so he just follows his passions and his whims and, and, and that is the meaning of he took his passion as his God. The second group are those who have this war of attrition. So it's a harb sijat. And these are, so the first one is nafs al-amara. And then the second is nafs al-awama. These are the people that fight their souls. He said one day it's for them, the next day it's against them. And he said, this is somebody who's, he's a mujahid and he's doing his best. And if he dies uh, in this path, then he's really a shaheed. It's kind of a, a, a martyrdom. And, and this is why the Prophet ﷺ is reported to have said, Jahidu ahwa'akum kama tujahiduna a'da'akum. Fight your 
passions just like you fight your enemies. In other words, this is the spiritual warfare. And, and this is uh, really, really important. So he says, this is the rank of the, of the higher people amongst his creation, uh, notwithstanding, outside of the, the prophets and the saints, the awliya. And, and so these are just salihin, good people that are really trying to oppose themselves. The third group are the people who have conquered their passions and they have complete control of them and they never overwhelm them. And, and he, he likens the human being to like a city and the heart, meaning the intellect, the reason is the king of the city. So if the heart is in control of the city, then everything's working and functioning in the city. But if the, if the irascible soul, which is anger, the army, which is meant to defend the city, takes over, then it wreaks havoc like armies come in and rape and pillage. Or if the, the, the merchants and the farmers take over, these are, this is the concupiscent soul, the appetite, then also uh, it becomes a commercial place. Like you can see, like there are countries now, like North Korea is a country where the irascible soul is ruling. And then you have a, a country like America where the concupiscent soul is ruling. Uh, the, the, this is what's happening. So, so appetites are everything. And then the greed and the hunger, which is insatiable. So you have these corporations that buy politicians. And, this, this, and so the, the, where's, the, where's the, the, the rulers that actually care about the population? They're too busy exploiting them and 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 uh, and trying to benefit and inure themselves uh, it's all self inurement so 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 he says about these people these are the ones who really have conquered their shaitan right and 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 that's why the prophet sallallahu said ma man ahadan illa walahu shaitan there's nobody who's without a, a demon. But Allah helped me with my shaitan until I possessed him. In other words, he didn't, he couldn't possess the Prophet. So he actually became Muslim, his shaitan. So he, he wouldn't say anything but good. And, and that's the way the Prophets are. Their, their shaitans become believers. In fact, you know, there's an opinion that of some of the early Muslims, like Al-Farabi and others. I mean, it's not it's not a strong opinion, but there is an opinion about Socrates that they thought that he might have been in the prophetic tradition because he he was he was sentenced to death for believing in one God, which is very interesting. But anyway, one of the things that he says is that his daemon on his way to the to the when he was condemned to death told him this was a good thing and not to be. And he said, man, my daemon only would tell me good things. So, because the daemon is like, for the Greeks, it was like a spirit guide that accompanied them. Anyway, Allahu alam. So, so, so then he says, and this is why the Prophet said about Omar, that if Omar went down a path, shaitan would go down another path. So, Omar was so, ma sarika Omaru fajjan. Shaitan would avoid Omar. He just didn't want to be around him. Because Omar, you couldn't, he couldn't possess him. He couldn't, he couldn't conquer him. So, so then he says, this is 
this وهذا الآن مزلة قدم you know this this aspect uh, of of the uh, you know shaitan this is where people really go astray because there's a constant assault now here's what he says and this I find this really important I want people to think about this he said I have noticed that the majority of those who are occupied in preaching in teaching in uh, the judiciary in oratory and in various types of leadership positions that most of them are following their appetites their hawa and he said they claim that they're motivated by religion he says they claim that they're motivated by religion and all they want is the reward and they're their vying and competition with the others is only what the Sharia tells us. Let them vie in good. And he said, This is this is extreme stupidity and self-delusion. But here's what he says, and this is where I really want people to think about this. He says, But there is a standard by which you can know the reality of this, whether you're one of these people that are following your hawa or you're not. And this is, if you see a preacher, a wa'id maqbul, a preacher that's accepted, and, and, he's, and he, he is ya'idhu lillah, la li talab al-qabul, he's preaching for the sake of God and not seeking any acceptance from the people. And he, he really intends to invite people back to God. His sign, his sign is that if he is in a place and there is another preacher, another wa'id who's better than him, who has a better seerah than he does, who has more knowledge than he does, who has, has more eloquence than he has, who the people love him more than than him, if he's happy about that, and if he's grateful, and if he, he'll feel shukr in his heart that the religion has somebody like that, then that's a sign that he's a sincere person. But if he's bothered by him, if it troubles him, if he begins to denigrate and degrade and oppose that person, he said that's, that's, that's the sign that this is a person who's simply uh, he's just there to for self-aggrandizement, to just uh, puff up himself. Once a man came to Omar and he said, let me, let me uh, preach to the people. He said, I fear that you'll, you'll get so puffed up you'll reach Pleiades. Because Omar saw that his intention wasn't to, he wanted to preach. Because the true wild would rather somebody else do it. They'd rather somebody else do it. Because first of all, it's a burden. Second of all, the truth be told, I think you have to feel like a bit of a hypocrite because you know yourself and you know how pathetic you are and you know how unworthy of you are to be actually even doing it. And so it's like, I don't want to do this because you're going to have to meet God on the day of judgment and you said all these things. And if you're not practicing everything you said, woe unto us. So it's a, it's a horrible uh, tribulation to have. I mean, it's a really grave tribulation. And yet people, they want it. They want, and then popularity and 
all these things that people want. So he, I mean, it's just such a brilliant, to me, it's such a brilliant uh, criterion. Like, so if you see somebody like who's preaching and who's really good or better than you at it, just if, if you're in that position of teaching or anything, like that, just ask yourself. It's very interesting. So I think that's, that's a, a really important little lesson from Imam al-Ghazali. And he says the analogy of, of that would be like, like if you have to go fight a, a disbeliever and you actually have to kill him, but then instead like lightning strikes him and destroys him, wouldn't you be happy that you didn't have to kill him because it's a horrible thing to have to kill somebody? And so he's saying that person's doing your job. And so you should be happy because you're calling people to God and he's calling people to God and he's more successful than you. So you're like, Alhamdulillah, that somebody's out there getting the message across and, and people are responding to it. I mean, that's a really, really, I think, a beautiful point. And, and, and then he just says, you know, be careful about being deluded by shaitan because he will delude you and he'll make you think that, uh, that you're... You're just doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's a really interesting uh, point that he makes. And, and he talks about then about um, that, you know, if how then do we avoid the talbis of Iblis, the dupery of the devil? How do we avoid it? Uh, and getting out of this delusion and and how are we able to understand the difference between reason and appetite, the aql and the hawa? And he said, it's a difficult thing to do, and you really have to be educated. And he said, I actually wrote a book to help people do that called Mi'yar al-ilm. So that's his other book, to help you discern the truth from the falsehood. And, um, and he says, but one of the most important things that y you do is that you should always look for what's the most beneficial in the long run, not in the short run, uh, even when the short run has difficulty and hardship. And he said, because Hawa will always want the easy way and it'll always leave out uh, difficulties. So he said, whenever you look at two affairs, always look at the one that the nafs doesn't want. And, 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 and that usually will be the rightly guided one. And that's based on the, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, that the Jannah was paradise was surrounded by disliked things, things that are distasteful. And he, the hellfire was surrounded by appetites, things that we naturally incline to. And that's and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Maybe you don't like a thing and in it is much good for you. And so he says, always, you know, look to that. What's why you're you're not liking it. And and he said, always beware of the self, because the self just uh, it's going to it's just going to trick you like that. In fact, Imam Al-Busayri, I translated uh, his burda, which is a really beautiful poem. And um, one of the things that he says about this, about this hawa, that my commanding self, this commanding self, has not been warned. It didn't take 
the, the lesson from its ignorance when this warner of, of age and white hairs have, has come to it. In other words, the white hairs, uh, Isa salam, said to his companions in, in a tradition there, he says that when the white hairs show up, know that harvest time is near, like the fruits are ripening. And so the, it's, it's time for the harvest. And then he says, And I didn't prepare a, a, a qira in Arabic is, um, it's the food that you prepare for the guest. So he said, I didn't uh, prepare the host's food for the guest of this white hair that has alighted upon my head shamelessly. And then he says, If I knew that I wasn't going to honor this white hair, I would have hid it using black dye. Who can help me fight this, this obstinacy of the self? Just as... as, as the, the, the recalcitrance of the horse is controlled by the bridle. You know, who, who can help me uh, tame this wild beast of the nafs? Don't think that by indulging your appetites, you'll be able to exhaust them or break them. Food will only strengthen the appetite of the glutton. The more food you eat, the more hungry the glutton gets. And then he says, So this is a very famous line. It became proverb in the Arabic language. The nafs is like a little baby. If, if you neglect it, it will grow loving to suckle. And if you wean it, it will become weaned. So he's using the analogy of like dunya is like it's like the breast of the mother. You, at a certain point, spiritually, you have to be weaned from this, this nourishment. And uh, because uh, a, a baby can't stay on the breast of the mother, and you can't stay in this immature spiritual state forever, you have to grow up. And that's what he's talking about. And then, he, this is, to me, amazing. He says, Fasrif hawaha. We're getting back to the hawaha. Wahadar antu so divert your hawa and beware on allowing it to take control. Verily, the hawa, this passion, these appetites, your lust and your gluttony, if, if it takes control, it will kill you or shame you. It's going to do one or the other. And so next week, I want to talk about how we can conquer these, these appetites uh, with some of the spiritual wisdom that our tradition has given us. So, alhamdulillah, uh, it, I'm, I'm happy to be back with you. I know there's a really uh, loyal group of people that have been paying attention to these, and I hope may Allah make me worthy of uh, the teaching, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you worthy of the teaching, and may He make us people that actually really try to live these truths in our hearts and, and in our practice. Ameen. Barakallahu fikum. And inshallah, I hope to do the next one on how we can, what we can do to get over these things. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.